Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode is recorded at ATX Television Festival. This year's fest is June 9th through 12th, and you should be there. They've already announced really cool stuff like an Everybody Loves Raymond reunion, Terriers, The Shield, uh, with a bunch of writers from that show. They've got Norman Lear. They've got Hart Hansen. Come on out. Go to atxfestival.com. Get your badge June 9th through 12th and come say hello. So to get us started, we have Kyle Killen. Kyle, I'd like to welcome you to the stage. Hello. Thank you guys so much for, um, for coming. Today I'm going to talk to you uh, about super minutia in television. I am going to talk to you about the critical process that determines uh, what shows make it to your eyeballs every year. Um, the process called... Uh, testing. I want to begin by warning you that this is pretty representative of the level of clip art that you will be seeing throughout the rest of the presentation. So if it was like you came to this festival for a, a PowerPoint from 1994, this is the high watermark in your, um, your weekend. Um, so any discussion of testing, television, focus groups, it usually leads pretty quickly uh, right back to Seinfeld. So the story goes that in 1989, uh, NBC had two pilots. One was testing through the roof. Uh, the other was testing, uh, I guess, is through the floor. That seems like an expression. We'll, we'll pretend that it is. Uh, so the show that the audiences were in love with was called uh, Sister Kate. It was about a nun who ends up taking care of a bunch of orphans. And the show that they could not stand was called Seinfeld, and uh, it was famously about nothing. Um, so we all know how this turns out. Uh, one of these shows is on the air for 18 episodes. The other one is on for 180. Which begs the question, what is this incredible process that brought us a nun taking care of orphans and almost cost us Festivus? So um, come with me back to the 1920s when uh, a guy named Irving Thalberg is the head of production for uh, MGM. And he has this brilliant idea. What if we showed our movies to some people and asked them what they thought, and then we could like fix stuff before we released them into the wild? Uh, but he doesn't want like a bunch of Hollywood types, so uh, he starts showing his movies in Pasadena, which for Irving at the time was like showing them in Iowa. And uh, this works like gangbusters. Like, MGM goes on a roll pretty quickly. Everybody starts to adopt this. This becomes kind of part of the process of making a movie. And it makes perfect sense. Like, if you think about it, any comedian is going to be taking into account what an audience laughs at, what they enjoy, any uh, play, any musical. They usually open off-Broadway in previews so that you can see what is and what isn't landing with the audience. So why should it be any different um, for movies. Sorry, I have to, like, so there's lots of pictures of Irving Thalberg that you could choose. This is the Irving Thalberg Award, which, uh, which is his head. Like, doesn't that seem, I don't get a lot of awards, so I don't know, but, like, it seems odd that you just get someone's head 
I have also, I've never seen the, um, the Dick Butkus Award for linebacking, but I hope that it is just his head <laughs> and that you have to have it like on your, your desk. Um, okay, so then in the 1930s, this guy, uh, Frank Stanton, who's the head of audience research for CBS, he teams up with a sociologist named Paul Lazarsfeld, and they have this idea. They create something called the program analyzer. And the idea is, what if we took all these sort of nebulous, uh, this feedback, these opinions, and we could turn it into numbers? We could turn it into data that we could crunch in an effort to make the perfect radio show. Um, not to be outdone, then the US military sort of gets in on it. They take uh, Frank's idea, they tweak it, they hone it to test their uh, World War II anti-Nazi propaganda. So this is the process that brought you nuns taking care of orphans. Um, so by the, uh, by the 1960s, this has developed into what we now know as dial testing. And a company called uh, ASI, they start testing audience reaction to network pilots in a, an effort to help them decide which ones to pick up and which ones they should scrap. So uh, this is how it works. They get 48 people, they pay them 75 bucks to sit in a room, watch a movie, watch a show. You get a dial like this. Uh, when you like what you're seeing, you turn it all the way to the green happy face. When you don't like what you're seeing, you turn it to the red sad face. And when you would rather die than continue watching, you press the X, which is uh, your way of indicating that if you were at home, this is where you would have changed the channel. Um, so as you're watching the show, the producers, creators, executives are behind one-way glass, and they are also watching the show, but this is what their display looks like. So in addition to the actual show itself, We've got real-time audience feedback. So you got a line for men, you got a line for women, and then you have lines for the different uh, demographics. So um, especially if this is what your graph looked like, you can imagine that this would, can be very like nerve-wracking. It's as if you have put all your money in the stock market and then the Great Depression unfolds right in front of you. Um, as soon as this part is over, they take 10 women, they take 10 men, they hold a little focus group, they ask them uh, for their thoughts and reactions on the pilot. Um, again, you are uh, behind one-way glass, uh, like collectively plotting a suicide cult. Uh, people can be very, uh, well, they're just honest is what they are, um, and that sometimes hurts. Um, now, this specific process isn't used by everyone, and it's not the only one used on every pilot. They're often tested in multiple ways. Sometimes you get sneak previews through your cable company in exchange for uh, filling out a survey. A lot of them are tested at large facilities in Las Vegas and Florida, where the idea is that the influx of tourists gives you a better sample of like what the population as a whole uh, is thinking. Sometimes it's done online. It all boils down to the same thing. An audience watches, they give feedback, and that feedback is quantified and given in the form of a report, which not only gives literal scores for the show and the people in it, but also the positive and negative uh, comments that are sort of fielded in the process. So the obvious question is, does any of this work? Um, the short answer is no. Um, <laughs> The longer answer is still no, but I'm going to say it with more words, and um, they're mostly going to be about why it doesn't work for television um, specifically. Now, later, if you want, we can talk about like spots where it is useful, like marketing, uh, branding, advertising. Um, but at the moment, I just kind of want to steamroll over all of it. Um, so before we attack the TV-specific part, um, there's some basic fundamental issues with focus groups themselves, like no matter what you are testing. The first one is that you, um, you lie, uh, which is not to say that you lie 
on purpose, although that has been known um, to happen, you lie because it's this crazy, bizarre environment where you've got a bunch of strangers, you've got a fake mirror on the wall, and you are asked to give your snap judgment opinion in front of all of these people about something you just saw. So you're trying very hard not to sound stupid, you are trying not to offend people, you may not like someone, you may be disagreeing with everything that they are saying. The point is, this is not how you actually watch television. Um, you don't come to any of your opinions about the television that you watch in this sort of like uh, white room cage match environment. And it turns out that what you say in this white room about what you like and dislike does not translate very well to what you actually like and dislike when you are sitting at home with your remote in your hand. Um, the next problem is that you may not actually know what you like. Um, <laughs> The best predictor of our behavior is our unconscious thoughts. These are the things that we, we don't express, that we don't actually have very good access to. They are our instincts, our gut. And it turns out that we are terrible at trying to describe what our gut is uh, telling us. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell tells this story about a, a tennis coach that goes around talking to tennis pros, and he asks them all how they hit their topspin forehand, and they all describe the process as sort of twisting their hand as they get to the ball. So he takes that for what it's worth. Then years later, he gets uh, a high-speed camera. He records them. It turns out that none of them actually do that. All of them hit the ball completely square. It's only after the ball is gone do they turn their wrist over and sort of swing it through. So it's not that they were lying to him. They literally did not know how they did one of the most fundamental parts of their game. So it's the same thing when I ask you about what you like and dislike. You will have a sense, you will have an instinct how you feel about it. But if I ask you to describe how and why, that's not going to be any more useful to me in terms of how to fix a television show than their advice on how they thought they hit a ball would be in terms of uh, learning how to hit a top. In fact, if you try to hit a ball that way, you will injure yourself. Um, the other problem is that even when your gut tells you that you like or dislike something, your gut can be wrong. If something is familiar, it makes us feel comfortable. And we confuse that comfort with actually liking the familiar thing. And we compound this effect as soon as we ask you to talk about it. If you guys talk about something that you're familiar with, again, you feel comfortable, so you interpret that as liking what you're talking about. If what I ask you to talk about is new and different, you have difficulty finding the words to articulate how you feel about it. You interpret that discomfort as disliking what you have seen. So in the testing world, what that adds up to is that shows that are very similar to popular successful shows that are on the air tend to test very, very well. So like uh, Friends itself did not test well. In the wake of Friends' success, we made tons of shows about 20-somethings who lived together and like had adventures. Many of those shows tested very, very well. A number of them got on the air. None of them made it to a second season. And the reason is that the tests are influenced by the fact that this reminds people of a show that they are big fans of, a show that already exists, but it doesn't actually make them eager to watch another one. Um, and that brings us to, in testing in general, there are a number of like highly predictable reactions that a test audience will have, um, none of which are super useful in terms of creating good television. Um, we know that um, pilots with a clearly defined good guy who catches a clearly defined bad guy before the show is over, those test better than things that have shades of gray. We know that 
Um, men are super stereotypical that we react well to sex and violence. Um, women can be equally uh, stereotypical. They react well to intimacy and relationships. We also know that women are murder on female characters. Uh, if they, you know, if, if a female character is supposed to be a mother and they do not perceive her being a good mother, then she gets destroyed. If a woman is supposed to be a lawyer and they don't think she looks old enough to have been through law school, she gets uh, destroyed. Um, we know that uh, dogs and babies and popular music are all things that can cause uh, a test audience reaction to spike. And again, if any of this were useful, we could just have shows that were like dogs, babies set to popular music. Um, <laughs> They came close to trying. They had a show where um, one of the lead characters was a super cute monkey, and it tested through the roof. And if that result mattered, animal practice would still be on the air. So that brings us to the real Achilles heel in testing television pilots. And this is the place where the process really deviates from what Irving Thalberg, his big idea in the 20s was which is that when you screen a movie, that's the movie. Like, that's it, that's all there is. You love it, you hate it, uh, that's all there's going to be. A pilot is not a TV series. Um, in my particular case, I've come very close to having the pilot be the entire series. But um, typically, it's a first date. Like, it's, a, it's the cover of uh, a book. Now I feel bad that I used Animal Practice. Eh, I'm sure it was a great show. Um, <laughs> It's the cover book. It doesn't give you don't really know what ultimately that book can hold. And the truth is that there are great pilots that go on to be terrible series and vice versa. There are great characters that go on to be terrible and vice versa. Um, Carlton Cuse has talked about how when they tested the lost pilot, Sawyer and Jin were despised by the test audience. And by the end of that run, they were two of the highest testing characters on the show. Um, so, I don't know, maybe this all sounds like crazy. Like, how could, it's like the comedian. If, he, if people laugh, that's a good joke. Why doesn't this translate um, in TV? Surely people having a really positive reaction must mean something. And if that were true, um, you would remember many of these shows more fondly. They would be on a lot of canceled, did I use, Ugh, oh, poor animal practice. Um, <laughs> Each of these was a top testing show in the year that it was um, picked up to series. And on the flip side, um, all of these shows would have been doomed by their negative test audience reactions. Um, Friends scored a 41 on a scale where 65 is sort of like barely okay. Um, the Seinfeld characters were labeled a bunch of losers. The audience said that this was a concept that would never work. The ad department at... ABC went into open rebellion when they decided to pick up 30-something because it had tested so horribly they were sure it was going to sink them. It went on to get the highest ad rates with uh, females in the history of ABC. Um, and it's not just the shows themselves. Actors get canned. They get recast uh, based on test audience reactions. There is a universe where uh, many networks might have either gotten rid of, tweaked, changed either the characters of Sawyer and Jin or the actors playing them based on those, uh, those terrible reactions. So all of this is not to say that testing always gets it wrong. Like from uh, Cosby to Golden Girls right up through uh, Modern Family, there is a long history of shows that have tested fantastically and gone on to be great shows. The point is the process is just as likely to miss as it is to hit, which makes it 
pretty useless as a tool for predicting the future. So it sort of makes you wonder why we are so reliant on it. Because the things that we do get from it are the same as the things we were learning back in the 20s when Thalberg started doing this. You can learn whether something drags or gets confusing. You can learn whether or not people actually laugh at the jokes. You can learn a lot about your ending. Endings are super important because they sort of tend to color our picture of what we have experienced. Uh, and they're also sort of uh, fairly changeable or malleable. Um, but again, these are things that you can do to the pilot. They don't tell you anything about the series or its potential. And when you talk to the people who administer these tests, they will tell you, well, that's all I'm trying to do is help you make the best pilot you can make. We are not trying to be predictive about which shows should or shouldn't go. And if we really held it there, we could have an argument, given all the sort of caveats that we had about uh, focus groups, whether or not this was a mildly useful uh, tool or uh, simply a harmless distraction. But that is totally not how we use testing data. Um, because once you s assign a numerical value to something, you can put it in numerical order. And that's exactly what happens. So uh, networks compare the scores that their pilots get against what they call their norms. So that's the average of the scores of all the shows that they have on the air. They compare it against the other pilots. They compare the scores uh, of their lead actors against the scores that all the lead actors on their successful shows have. They do it with the same thing with their supporting characters. So this feedback that was originally about whether or not something got a laugh, whether or not it was confusing, it gets turned into a number. And then when the debates are sort of raging about what we pick up and what we don't, those numbers absolutely get thrown around as if they somehow represent what is the best bet. And you can totally understand why. There's a comfort in thinking that a test has sort of reduced this to something that you can just put them in order, uh, and the highest scores will give you the best, um, the best chance. But again, uh, it, uh, I'm going to not say animal practice. What else was on that list? Uh, Emerald. Like, the, the scores don't um, translate. And it's not just about getting picked up. All sorts of decisions are influenced by these uh, test numbers. We talked about how actors can be recast. You can also dramatically change a show because somebody tests really well. Um, before Mark Cherry had uh, Desperate Housewives, he had a show called The Four Mrs. Buchanans. But when they tested it, uh, a stepmother character, like, tested through the roof. So when they picked it up, they retooled it, it became the five Mrs. Buchanans, and the show became about these four women in conflict with another one. Now, that's not the show that Mark sold, that's not the show that the network bought, that is a show that was perceived to be being requested by a test audience. That's what they greenlit, that's what they made, and ultimately that is what uh, failed. Um, <laughs> Your time slot, how much money goes into your ad budget, those things are all tied to your testing numbers. Because why would you give your best time slot and put the most money into promoting something unless it was your best bet? And that's my point. Um, whatever value testing has in soliciting feedback about how to hone or shape a piece of material, it has been demonstrated over and over and over again that in television, it has no predictive value as to the lifespan or quality of a series. Absolutely none. Um, but surely, like this was the 60s and World War II stuff, like can't we do, maybe if we do better than the, the whole dial testing and recruited audience surveys, what if we crowdsourced this whole thing? Like that's a very, that sounds like a current word and I'm, it sounds cool and hip and probably like Google would do that. I'm sure it would work 100% of the time. 
That's what um, Amazon tried. They put all of their pilots up. They said anybody could watch them. Anybody could give feedback. They were going to take all that feedback. And they were just going to let the audience tell them, like, what do you want to watch more of? That's what we'll do. So how did that work out? Well, would you like to know what the lowest testing pilot in their 2013 series was? Uh, The pilot that if they did what they said they were going to do would never have made it to air? Transparence. It's got 13 award nominations, eight wins. It is the critical darling that for most people put Amazon on the map. That's a show that the wisdom of the crowd said was not worth making more of. Which sort of raises the question, like, why did Amazon do that? Why'd they ignore their own model? Why'd they ignore their own data? It's a super dumb, simple answer. They believed in the show. They believed in Jill Soloway. They believed that if they made more, it would be good, and that people would find it. So that's crazy. Like, you can't just do that. Like, you can't just look at your shows and think about your creators and, like, just put the stuff on that you believe in. Except that's exactly what HBO does. They don't test anything. They watch it, uh, they discuss it with their creators, they talk about what they like, what they don't like, what they need to see for this to go forward. Sometimes those are short discussions, sometimes they literally take years. Sometimes a show like uh, Game of Thrones gets sort of dramatically reworked at the pilot phase. But all that stuff happens because that's what they think will make it good, not because it has tested below broadcast or uh, network Norms, And when they pick up a show, it's because they believe in the creator, they believe in the future of it, they believe somebody has a vision for it, even if all of that isn't fully represented in the pilot episode. And they are wrong, like totally wrong, like John from Cincinnati wrong. Um, but they're not wrong more than everybody else. They are not wrong more than networks who are looking at uh, historical statistical data on the third female lead in a series. They're wrong because everybody is looking at the cover of a book and we are all guessing about what's inside. And when we do that, sometimes we are wrong. But at HBO, they have the luxury of getting to make the shows where they are excited about what they think is in the book rather than the ones that they feel like already have the strongest covers. Which is uh, going to be my argument for why we ultimately need to stop testing um, television pilots. Like when Steve McPherson was talking about having picked up uh, Desperate Housewives, he said it did not test well, but my gut told me it could be a great show and that you had to give it a shot. And some executives said the same thing about every show on that list of like unexpected hits. They defied the numbers because they believed in the show and the creators, and in those cases they were rewarded. And as far as I know, no executive has ever uh, been able to prevent themselves being fired by saying, I understand that they all bombed, but they were the best testing shows. You sink or swim based on what you put on the air and how it performs, and testing does not give you a hint how that's going to go. So finally, that kind of brings us back to um, Seinfeld, because this is is the hammer that is uh, so often used to sort of destroy focus groups. You know, the, the, the thinking goes, if Seinfeld didn't test well, then obviously focus groups don't work. But I'm going to argue that we may have been looking at that story um, completely wrong. I, I think that in the case of Seinfeld, it's entirely possible that the focus group worked perfectly, and that's why we need to get rid of them. Because if you go back and actually watch the Seinfeld pilot, it is not very good. Um, It is certainly not the show you're thinking of when I say uh, Seinfeld. There's that, uh, they don't have the cool Bobby McFerrin thing that opens it. It is like this nutty dance beat, like straight out of a Casio from the 80s. Um, 
25% of it is just Jerry doing stand-up, which, by the way, is the only part that tested well. Um, the characters are sort of rough and annoying versions of themselves. Elaine isn't even in it. She doesn't show up until the fourth episode. The original female lead was going to be a waitress who like uh, gave uh, Jerry and George grief every time they went into the diner before somebody realized that that was not a concept that had like a lot of uh, legs. Um, The point is, it probably tested poorly because not only was it unlike anything on television at the time, it wasn't very good um, yet. And the only reason that it exists is uh, an executive at NBC gave up his entire department's budget to produce four more episodes. So why did he do that? For the same reason that Amazon made Transparent, the same reason that HBO makes the shows that they make, He believed in Larry and Jerry and that they would eventually find a great show. And that is ultimately the difference between following the numbers and following your gut. If you are following the numbers, then you are accepting that the Seinfeld pilot is the best way to determine whether or not this is a show. If you are following your gut, you are accepting that Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, the people are the best way to determine whether or not this should be a show. And if you bet on those things, I think you end up making stuff that you believe in, stuff that you are passionate about, and in some sort of hippy-dippy, super granola way. Like, I'm going to argue that I think that that's in the DNA of any truly um, successful creative endeavor. So, that is my long-winded bashing of the testing process. Um, (laughs) So let me bring up our why you're really here, our uh, panel of super fantastic wonder guests, and we will talk about their experiences with uh, testing, what their opinions are, and what their great battle stories are, and then we will open it up and you can ask us questions and we'll try to answer them. It'll be like a game show. So next to me, we have uh, Dina Hillier, who is a vice president of comedy development at Paramount TV. Uh, That's a plot for each one. I like it when we do it that way. Uh, Next to her is uh, Chad Hodge, who uh, is the writer, creator, producer of Wayward Pines and the Playboy Club. Next to her is Julie Pleck, who is responsible for everything on The CW. And at the end, we have Ben Wexler, uh, who is the writer, creator, producer of uh, The Comedians on FX. And Animal Practice. I created that. (laughs) I said I created Animal Practice. I want to apologize. (laughs) It had nothing to do with Animal Practice. I was like, what? I was totally reading that. And then I was like, how late did he show up? Did we get past all that? Maybe that was possible. (laughs) Fill me in. I got here late. What was... uh, Uh, Animal Practice was a hit. Did you know that? Yeah, it was great. Um, So, Chad, I'm going to start with you, just because uh, my guess is that uh, with the Playboy Club in particular, there is that's a show that sort of, uh, it represented a lot of different things to a lot of different people, which I would think would be very difficult when you got to the testing process. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I was actually, I just was looking at the test results from the Playboy Club uh, over there in the corner. Um, I went back into my email from four years ago and and looked at it all. Um, Yes, and it was hard because that was the uh, first year of Bob Greenblatt's presidency of of NBC. It was the first new show. And uh, and the Playboy Club, as as I sort of envisioned it, was very much like, um, uh, you know, 
uh, desperate bunnies, like a soap opera, uh, you know, about these these bunnies in the in the Playboy Club in the '60s. Very fun, very soapy, and um, and the testing was, you know, it, it, that stuff was positive. But they all there was a guy, there was a male character in the show um, named Nick Dalton, and um, Eddie Cibrian played him in the pilot, and uh, and and there was all these all the testing was like, well, we want him to be more in it, and we want to like know more about the mob, and we want to mo- know more about his law firm and like all this stuff that I'm like really like and and you know just like people sort of um you know oh it's got to be a soap opera it's got to be a mob show it's got to be for men too it's got to be for women it's got to be everything to everybody and I thought well this is crazy because I kind of saw him as the Mr. Big character who kind of comes in every now and then and uh and the network really took that those test results to heart and really you know said well we have to beef, beef up his character and uh, and and make this a much, much make him a much bigger deal and make him the lead of the show and suddenly we're like building a set for his law firm you know and and you know <laughs> i mean really and uh and the show then i think became trying to be all things to all people to to sort of get the test results higher the next time you know you, you know we're going to do some reshoots and we're going to do all this stuff and you know and then i think it made the show not as good and none of those things were like on the docket. There was no talk about, you know, if we ever have time, I would love to see what law cases he's working. It all no. came from a test audience's reaction. Never. No, 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 never. And, and, and then even, you know, if, if you remember, like a lot of the ads then sort of put him in the front of the, of, of, you know, the promos and the billboards and everything. And, uh, and then everyone was like, oh, they're just trying to do Mad Men. Because he, he kind of looked like, you know, Don Draper and all that. And it's, you know, so that was unfortunate. So, but the executives that are asking you to do these things, is it like... Uh, you know, I've always felt that. Or is it like, no, this is crazy, but the audience said to do it, so we have to. Right. Yeah, so, so it, and it's like, and it's our money, so you have to kind of thing. And you get very, you know, it's one of the, uh, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but the, the, I think the hardest job we all have is like figuring out, you know, how to be the passionate visionary creator that they're saying they want you to be, but then they're saying, no, no, you have to build a law firm office. And you have to like, <laughs> you know, this is our money, we, and we need to be all things to all people. It's a hard, hard line to, to walk. And, uh, and so I sort of figured out, okay, I've tried to figure out, all right, well, how do I make them happy? And, 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 and okay, let's, let's have a couple storylines for him and all that. And it just sort of ended up being, you know, it, it, it's always better when you're doing one thing well rather than three th- things kind of well. Right. And that's sort of what the show ended up being. So. Right. And Julie, have you, you know, from when you started to where you are, have you, A, sort of been forced to be influenced by the results of these, these tests? And uh, have you reached a place where it is easier for you to shrug off things that you, that you disagree with or that seem problematic to you? Like, you, you don't have to build a law office? <laughs> no, no, no law office. Um, no, the first, the first problem is, is, like, I literally don't understand any of it. I sit, you know, he was saying how you sit in the room and you're, like, watching the dials, and it's like a cardiogram on the screen. And I'm like, is that good? Is that good? I don't know. I was telling I was telling Chad that like I heard this like urban legend that ER tested in the nineties, right? And like you test in the nineties and clearly everything must be you're amazing. So I kept waiting for my shows for the dials to go up to the nineties and I'm like they're not going to the 90s. Like, I don't know, like, what, what's wrong with my shows, you know? And, uh, and then somebody told me, like, no, it doesn't really ever get above, you know, like 70. You know, a 71 is pretty freaking awesome, you right. know? And um, so just even trying to understand the metrics of how it works is impossible. The one thing that makes the tiniest bit of sense to me um, 
you know, because the networks are incredibly, at least at the CW specifically, they are very tight-lipped about their testing results. Like, they don't come in at you and be like, well, so-and-so tested great, and this part tested really badly. Like, they just kind of do it, make their decisions, whether they take it into account or not, um, but they don't talk to you about it. Um, so the studio said to me, like, we know this is frustrating. We know this part sucks. We all kind of agree with that. But they are going to do this. And so what does it hurt for us to... I'm almost like advocating it, but not really. I just want you to know that. Sure. Like when it sounds like I'm advocating it, I'm not really advocating it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but they said, you know, what does it hurt for us to get a jump on what they are going to learn regardless? Because when all is said and done, I think the thing that... When you're talking about the writer visionary thing versus, you know, an employee of problem is a pilot sad but true is a sales tool it is a piece of like it is the cover of the the design of the cover of the book like you said and the studio wants to sell that pilot they want the network to pick it up over any other pilot they've they've done and so they want to position it in a place where what whatever the network sees is going to be like the best foot forward as a sales tool to the network which you know is basically them rolling the business dice they're just saying like we know we want to present this to make them happy so you hear that and you're like okay 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 you know so when you test the vampire diaries and the vampire diaries starts um with a great rock song because don ostroff at the time had at the cw was very clear like you put pop songs in our shows like i have one rule and my one rule is you put freaking pop songs in our shows and you better have a lot of freaking pop songs um because people like pop songs i'm like okay so you have a great rock song pop song whatever of two strangers driving down a road bantering and then coming across a dead guy in the road and like a horror sequence and the test audience is like mm, yeah, whatever those people are fine like song's good whatever and like you get four minutes into your pilot and everyone's still sort of like all right i guess you know it's cool and the dials are sort of like this and everyone's looking nervously like what do we do what do we do and then an executive says you need something right at the beginning that tells people exactly what the show is and we're like, that sounds like voiceover. We hate voiceover. Please don't make us do voiceover. Voiceover is bad writing. Voiceover is the devil. Voiceover, everything we've ever taught is that voiceover is terrible. They're like, you need to add voiceover. <laughs> and so, I mean, and I am not kidding. We took a shot of fog, f- fog rolling through the woods that we stole from a scene where a girl got murdered. We just found, like, fog only. And, you know, cause you, you don't go reshoot a pilot. You're done. You got no chance. We took Fog and we took Paul Wesley and he says something like, for a hundred years I've lived in the shadows, you know, <laughs> hiding in the dust, living alone. Until now, I am a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my story. Boom, cut to rock music. And then all of a sudden the dials are like, Wee! and you know, it's, you're like, whoa, oh my God, it's amazing. So yeah, that's what happens. You're like, okay, well, but then you're stuck with it. So now to this day, I'm like, I, people come at me and they're like, I thought it was Stefan's story. And I'm like, oh shit, that's right. We started the show like that. Like, uh, <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. So, but does that feel like a compromise or like, are you ultimately, you, you see that there's something there and you find a way that you're comfortable with addressing it or does it, is it haunt you that there's like fog voiceover at the beginning of your series? <laughs> 
forever. <laughs> it, it haunts you because you fight it so hard for your for purposes of your own integrity and feeling like that's hack writing or that's a hacky move and you, you just hate yourself for it. And But it worked. So then you're like, well, maybe I'm the dumbass that didn't think, like, that doesn't know what works. In the you script, know? you just shorthanded as FVO now, just fog voiceover. <laughs> like, it's a standard tool. <laughs> there's Anytime there's confusion, let's yeah. have somebody explain that over fog. <laughs> I have this. Um, this is. I, I'll. I'll show you the graph of the, the initial Playboy Club, Playboy Club testing. Wow, I think you're like totally. I know. And twenty. Nobody take a picture of this. You, but I'm excited Seriously, about. Don't it. take a picture of this. But um, if you can see this, the red line is women, and the blue line is men. <laughs> so it's like women like and men hate the same, right? Yeah. It's like okay. So then the, the network reaction is. We need to get men to like the show, so we need to make Eddie Cibrian's character bigger, so everybody likes it. And then, so it's it, just you know, acknowledging that it's a woman yeah, show. It's the Playboy Club, but like, I, I don't even understand a, how that's the react. The show is called the Playboy Club. Women seem to like it. We need to get yeah. men to like it. So what we should have is more Eddie Cibrian <laughs> and like yeah. a law office. <laughs> I think you might have been anyway, doing it wrong. Seems like there's a simpler yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Ben, uh, you know, I've read sort of about your um, experiences just in general, how much happier you are with the FX process, how they feel sort of very hands-off. How has the, how's the testing sort of environment in that world? I think FX is more like HBO. In your, it, it, had you had another slide, I would have pitched you put FX up there because <laughs> they really are... Um, every conversation I've had with them has been basically a gut-based conversation. The, the, uh, to me, and I'm sure these guys share this, when you get notes from somebody that doesn't feel like it's actually their opinion, uh, that's really maddening. Uh, and and when you are talking to a human being and they're saying, you know, I just kind of feel like this could be better or this just didn't work for me, there's, then we can have a conversation. Then, mm-hmm. then it's a, a creative discussion and, and you know... As you know, nothing's written in stone. You can always you can always improve upon stuff, but it, it's it's very hard to hit a uh, a mark that you don't know where the mark is or where it's coming from. And if it doesn't sound like you know, there's a difference between sort of uh, making a prescription and making a diagnosis. And and sometimes the diagnosis may be right, but the prescription is wildly wildly wrong. My experience at FX is that um, they did test it. They didn't share any of the testing with us. They um, they were very candid about the fact that testing is not determinative to them uh, for picking up a pilot or for picking up a, a series. Um, it's just something they do to have more information, which seems fine. You know, I, I, um, but literally every creative conversation that we had on our show was just sort of between human beings uh, talking about, you know, it just, it just feels like there could be more of this or less of that. And there was a remarkably little amount of any notes that came to us there fx really you know you talked about larry and jerry and my my partner larry charles worked on many years of seinfeld and worked on curb um fx is one of those places that they they put their chips on the people and they say go do your thing and that's been my experience it's been great it's it's a dream i never want to go back sounds (laughs) sounds terrible i don't know yeah yeah, yeah Can you talk to us about sort of the executive side of it? And you know, we usually we have to do one of these tests a season. You're going in there over and over with everything that you've sort of shepherded. Yeah, we could have something like ten to twelve pilots a season, and you have to go testing on every single one. And it is frustrating. And Julie, we're talking about you know 
on the studio side, you even if you don't want to test, and I kind of think it's a silly process, you know the network is going to do it. So really, the studio level, we're not the ones that are going to say, let's completely reconceive it before we deliver it, because the network's expecting a certain show. But for me, I think it can be helpful if there's maybe a pacing issue or a clarity issue. I mean, not to add like fog and, and VO, but... If there's, and by the way, there could be something that you as a producer say, you know what, that scene was bothering me too. I felt like we could pace it up a little bit. And there's little tweaks that you can do, but it is very frustrating. And it's frustrating on our end, and it's hard because some writers are more sensitive to it than others. And you're sitting there with them, and someone's saying, is this a comedy? Because I didn't laugh once. It's like the worst thing I've ever seen. And, you know, if they give bad feedback, then you say, like, oh, those people are idiots. Or if it's brilliant, they're like, this is a really sophisticated crowd. Like, they get it, they get us. <laughs> So it, it is very difficult, but for me, I think it's the small tweaks just, and, and a lot of the times it is things that you, in your gut, go, okay, I, I do see, but, you know, they throw things out, like, we hate the lead, the lead is, you know, I, I recast it, well, there's nothing you can do, you've shot the pilot, and, you know, you just, but again, it's, you do it because you know the network is going to do it, and you don't want any surprises coming your way, you can maybe manage the situation prior, or talk about, well, I see this in series, or if you really do see it in series, so, it's, it's it, we're in a precarious position of, you know, I think our job is the studio, and sometimes you're more successful at it than not, but is to really protect the writer as much as possible, but still, you want to sell a show, and it's delivering to the network, so it's trying to be a, a buffer as much as possible in pr- protecting the writers. And are you ever, like, gobsmacked by a reaction? Like, you know, is it one you thought was great is received horribly, or vice versa, or is it generally kind of like, yeah, no, we knew that wasn't going to work? Never. I mean, that's like 5% five, 5% of the time. I mean, it's... You have this random group of people who probably aren't the you know the demographic that you're going for. I mean, you do the Playboy Club. You could have you know, you know, eight men in the room, or you know, it's it's a little lopsided. Um, yeah, I mean, we had this actor that every it was the hottest actor in town. Everybody wanted this person for their pilot. We know he's a big star. We test it, and he they, people just didn't get it. They absolutely hated him. They wanted him to have nothing part of it. Um, and that, yeah, they just don't, under, they don't understand it. Or, or you get silly things. Like, and it is a very interesting study in men versus women and what they respond to because, <laughs> I swear to God, this is true. We had this one pilot where, um, you know, I said, what did you like about Like, the first question is usually, what did you like about it? And you hope they say it was really funny if it's a comedy or, God, the story's interesting. And it was, we liked her shirt because she had an extremely tight, shirt on with a bra that was kind of see-through and for the men like that was there like that's what they liked most about and then you're like like where do you go from there like how do you have a constructive conversation (laughs) the wardrobe department erased right exactly exactly exactly. it is like disappointing as a male to watch a show and watch the blue line like what we're actively in front of other people telling them like gets us to turn the dial that's off. what i'm struck by how honest that guy was but all the other guys were like yeah i agree, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Right. totally well you you had that little slide that said that women are hard on women and i like just anecdotally speaking i experienced that where we had this female character who was very successful in the in the cut and we're like wow she really pops she's really great we go to the testing, we watch, start watching the female version of the focus group, um, and we weren't watching the men. So they come in at the end and they tell you what the men think, but we were watching the women. And we get to talking about that character, and the women were like, we don't like her. Mm-hmm. We were like, what? And, they, and the guy said, why? And she's not hot enough to get that guy that seems to like her. 
And she left her kid alone. Like, she's a terrible mother. So exactly what you said. These women were such, excuse my language, bitches about this girl. And they, she was a terrible mother, and she's not hot enough. She's not hot enough. I was like, we are women people. This is horrible. <laughs> Meanwhile... So I'm like, well, that's terrible. That A for the actress, B for humanity, and then, <laughs> you know, and then the woman who had been running the men's session comes in, and we said, well, how did they feel about so and so? And she said, oh my god, they loved her so much. She's so approachable. She's so she's like the girl next door. She's the one that they all think that they like would fall in love with them. She's gettable. They loved her. She was their favorite character, hands down. And I thought, you bitches, like <laughs> total horrible mean girls. But it's exactly what you said. And it's and so uh, the bigger voice could actually taint. You know, if if we weren't hearing the men raving, we would have heard the women complaining a lot louder, and and it was really fascinating. Right. Yeah, we found that the women are the the mothers are the that's so hard for them to test well because a, a real character is not a perfect mother, and God forbid you yell at your you know that you're yelling at the kids or you know put them in front of the television. They're like they're horrible. I'm like come to my like then I'm the worst mother ever because that's what you do as a mother, and it's real, and it's almost like the female characters aren't allowed to be real. Flawed, flawed, exactly. Go ahead. No, I, I, in small defense of testing, uh, and and I, I, I too. <laughs> well, well, no, I, well, I, mean, I feel like I've gone overboard I, in terms I'm, of I'm like bashing word. it. I'm, I'm more bashing. I'm, I'm more saying it. It has been demonstrated it has no predictive value. Right, right, right? It, you, right. We can all decide how useful it is or isn't. The feedback in terms of like shaping what we've created, how we feel about VO fog or not. But <laughs> with or without that, that doesn't tell me whether or not the Vampire Diaries is going to be a successful show. Like if you rock it off the scale because you add that, still doesn't tell me if it's going to work or not work. Oh, yeah. And I should say I worked for a showrunner who was incredibly driven by the test results. And I hated it so much that I wound up writing a monologue that I performed in Jill Soloway's show, actually, which was I was the uh, guy who had invented focus group testing for the Nazis in, like, <laughs> and, and there were these rudimentary dials and, the, the, you know, the people in Germany would turn the dials to the stuff they liked, and it was like to the kill the Jews stuff was actually the best testing <laughs> stuff, but um, the, the, the uh, in, in, small, in small defense of, of, of testing, I, I had one of the most educational two hours of my life a couple of years ago when I did a pilot, and we tested it, and we got to sit behind the one-way glass. And um, First of all, my, my first uh, realization was when the dials were okay, I realized uh, I wasn't prepared for had they not been okay, because if, if people were hating it, it, I probably would have just taken myself out back and just committed suicide. It was, it was, it was nauseating. But the... Um, but we learned an unbelievably important thing on that show, which didn't go to series and never got on the air for this reason. We had, um, it, the, the main relationship was between a guy and his adult friend, but this guy was uh, married with a kid. And his wife was played by an Asian actress, and we had to cast the kid. And we were having trouble finding a kid between 8 and 10 who was half Asian. Who, you know, I mean, it was just, these were, it was just difficult to find a kid who was good. And we had a kid that we really liked and was really small. He wasn't that good of an actor, but he was cute, and he really looked like he could have been the child of these two actors. The head of the very powerful head of the studio said, uh, no, we're casting this guy, this, this kid, the 11-year-old kid, chubby. Chubby is funny. <laughs> like It was literally like that was what we were told, and we'd ca we had to cast this kid. And then we spent the next two months talking ourselves into that it's okay, that it can work with this kid. 
this kid was not half Asian. This kid was like a white kid. And we spent all this time like, yeah, I think it's okay, and he's kind of funny. And then the test audience was like, who's that kid? Why are they hanging out with this kid? Who's <laughs> their son, you know, it's just like, and, and uh, the actors were too young to have a kid that old. And, you know, it was just, and it was like, and you're in there, and you're in the room, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course. That's 100% what I would see if I were watching that show on television. I'd be like, that's not their child. And, but you, it's this you go th- and what we should have done is we should have unfortunately should have recast the boy but you you can't do that at that point and it was dead just dead as a doornail for good reason you know right. frankly but you know had that process then been followed up with hey you have a chance to address this problem it actually would have helped to but that problem was one that you yourself from the beginning like you always felt icky and weird about it like the testing ultimately confirmed and then you talk yourself out of your own gut right you know what i mean because like you have to again it's their money and they're and they get to decide who you can and can't cast right um so you talk yourself out of your own gut and then when you actually see people sort of just reacting honestly it's really informative right i mean not to sort of go after it again but when you talk to people at hbo to fox you know whether they test or don't test they they will all tell you you don't discover anything. You confirm what you already knew. But the stuff that, like, you said it was funny on the page, we thought it was funny in the first cut, the test audience thinks it's funny. When we see the Twitter reaction, they thought it was funny. Like, it's consistent all the way through. So it's just sort of this layer where we go through this exercise that uh, it tends not to turn over new rocks so much as get you to look closer at the things that you you already anticipated or had a feeling about. Yeah, and if it goes in the other direction and it's you know something you didn't think was a problem, it, it sometimes can only can just be because of one person in the focus group who think who for some reason has that opinion, and then everyone else gets whipped up and like yeah yeah yeah, or even just two people and then get whipped up and then it gets into the notes that get passed onto the network and then this suddenly is a problem because this one person thought this thing yeah, you know a 12 angry men yeah right yeah. exactly yeah so like how has the process changed since playboy club for like when you did wayward pines it was a very different kind of show like the whole approach yeah, to it did totally you- different and in, in in this case it was it was more, much more helpful i would say uh I don't know helpful is the word, but definitely not destructive. Um, so, no law offices? <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, but in, in some ways, well, okay. So it, we, <laughs> uh, yeah, really interesting, right? We had, uh, it was a 10-episode straight-to-series order, so we were going to be making all the 10 episodes no matter what. So after we made the pilot, we tested the pilot. Um, and there were definite things that I thought needed to be improved in the pilot. And those things were somewhat confirmed by the testing. So that was helpful to me because it was, you know, um, there was the director, M. Night Shyamalan, there was the network, and there were some different opinions about things. And, and we were able to look at some of the testing and go, oh, okay, like now see like we can and we did some reshoots and everything and that's that worked uh in in a way and then and then in some ways it's like a bunch of stuff you don't need you know you don't need to know or 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 is destructive and and thankfully we had um the support of of the network and and all that since we were making 10 episodes then they then we did some reshoots for the pilot it tested better then we also tested the second episode that tested better than the pilot and that and then it sort it sort of never was uh, a destructive problem it was uh, a little bit helpful i guess 
See, I sort of feel like the only thing that really should matter to networks when they're picking this stuff up is intent to view. You know, it's like, because to me, that's a useful tool. You show them an episode. You say, hey, did you like this enough to watch it, to try to watch it again? To, oh, my God, I have to watch this again? Or, oh, I'm never watching this shit again. Die, die, die. You know? And, like, (laughs) because ultimately, as you said, it's... The pilot is, your, is, is, if you look at it in movie terms, the pilot is your teaser of the movie. The pilot, the pilot is the two-minute teaser that you see in the theaters before other movies. Um, the movie itself is the entire run of the series. So, you know, you, you gotta, it takes 35 minutes in a movie before you, you know, click into concept and character. Well, not anymore, but still in general. And so if your pilot is just your trailer, you need a couple episodes to let the concept and character really live and breathe. And if and and so you just gotta get them in so that they stick around. So right. to me, intent of view would be a great metric. Yeah. And, and they have it, if you know, well you can speak to that. No, I was just saying it is shocking because you'll test and they'll be I mean, just brutal. And then at the end, how many people intend you know, how do you intend to view? And everybody will you know, still want to watch it, even though, you know, they're like, Oh, well, I'm curious to see what happens. I'd stick with it after they've just you know, and and you're right, it is. It's the intent to view is what eyeballs are actually going to be on it or they'll rave about it and then you'll say like how are you gonna watch it they're like i don't know maybe <laughs> not for not for me not for me somebody will like it not me <laughs> and those are definitely the places where testing has been it has been demonstrated to be predictive is when you test the marketing like so you know even with movies there's an ex- you can change the two-hour movie to some extent you might edit it you might reshoot things the trailer you can make an infinite number of ways, and all the trailer has to do is convince you to come spend your nine dollars. The first, I don't know, nine dollars, maybe a pipe dream. I'm not sure. Maybe you're seeing it in Iowa, but the thirty-five minute first act. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could make. You know, you've seen the things where they turn The Shining into a, a comedy as a trailer. So testing those things literally just to get that: Are you coming? Will you, does this make you want to see it? And a lot of networks have moved to testing. They either have a, a department that tests their marketing, or they're very reliant on market testing. I, I think you're totally. That's the best use of, of testing that I, for me that I've seen, especially for Wayward Pines, because the test the, the testing shows that it's the show is confusing. No one knows what's going on. This is so weird. I don't get it. But like in a good way. And so the marketing department embrace that, and the whole ad campaign is like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, like, and we're saying like yes to that. So that helped. And Joe Early, who's the CEO and you know does all the marketing for Fox and you know launched Empire in such a brilliant way and. And Wayward Pines, I think they did an amazing marketing job. Um, is is a lot? I know they used all the testing for that. So yeah, we had an incident on one of my shows where the one of the lead actresses was not featured on the key art for the for the marketing campaign, and I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god, because this is not going to go well, you know. And I said to the network, I'm like, are you guys sure you want to go down this road? You know, like she's not on the poster. Like that is a PR nightmare for me, for you, for the whole company. And they said, we tested 37 versions of this poster with everybody, with nobody, with no faces, with all faces, with some faces. This is the version that tested the highest. This is the poster we're going with. And I said, well, all right, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight her fight for her. Like, and, you know, and the poster was extremely, extremely effective. Um, but it, it, I had never thought of that, that they would test 
a billion versions of your poster. How do you break that to the actor? Like, people are more interested in seeing it if they don't know you're in it. <laughs> as long as we hide that from them, they're, they're there. <laughs> I leave it to the publicist and I hide. Yeah, I hide. <laughs> you don't tell them. You wait and see if they notice, which they will. And then, <laughs> yeah, they oh, probably won't they notice. <laughs> you wait and see if you walk down them crying. Yeah. yeah, they put the fog over her face. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice, the mystery character. With a show like uh, Community, I don't know how well you remember sort of the testing process, but for something that, like, I mean, that show is maybe still finding itself. I mean, it, it morphs and changes. How, uh, how, does, how do people react to what it initially is, and how does someone like Dan react to uh, what people tell him they think they've I think we, about what he's I, done? I can't remember if Dan didn't come. I think he actually did not come because I think he kind of knew better because I think Dan would have like gone to a very dark place, you know, with any negative comment because he's so, I mean, he's just so smart and has, he really does think so much about the show and have reasons for everything, every storyline, every character. Um, It's insane to hear him talk about the show. Um, I actually don't think he went. I think he just couldn't bring himself to... I think. He wasn't going to go and end up maybe last minute, but um, I think we knew that show was very special. Like, I, re- I literally remember when we got the... When we heard the pitch, we knew it was something special, and when this first script came in, I was like a page in, and I emailed my boss. I'm like, this is, this is something... This is it. Like, this is very different. So I think we went in with the expect... And, and the network loved it. It was always a project that was very champion. So especially for that show, for me, it was a very specific voice that I knew would have a very specific audience. Um... Even like the, just the way that the dialogue was, rapid fire. I, don't, I actually don't remember. I think it tested good. Um, but yeah, I don't think Dan went. I think that was a really good pilot. I remember it was a that. Great pilot. It was a really, I was like, very proud of that one. It was perfectly cast. It sold its concept. It was funny. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's one of the good stories. Yeah. We just, like, yeah. actually get it. It's also a great example of a show that, um, that morphed and, and, mm-hmm. and really evolved, and, which is to your point of Seinfeld and, and all these other shows where you really don't know what the series is going to be mm-hmm. at pilot. Because I've rewatched that pilot a bunch of times, and it's great. And it's so different from season two. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's different from late season one. And, and you know, so it's, it's all to your point of if you trust the creator, that we are, if we do our job right, we're self-correcting organisms. You know what I mean? Like we will, we will find the weaknesses and we will, you know, we will diagnose them and hopefully we'll, we'll fix them. And, and that's, that's where I think, you know, you, you talk about trailers, that's all, or posters, that's all intent of you. There's nothing, that's, that's the only metric of that. Right. Whereas a, a pilot, as you say, it's it, your job, Dan, or, you know, or in our cases, is to find what works and, 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 and continue to adapt. I, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I don't know if you guys do this, but, you know, when I write a script or, or have a first cut of a pilot or something, like, I sort of test it myself with like three friends or other writers or people that I trust who are I know are going to be honest with me um I have like this this circle of you know and if all three of them say it's too long it's probably too long like I'll listen to that kind of thing but I trust that more than in terms of the quality and what I want to do and what my vision is like I would listen to that more than the you know whoever they found in Vegas to Right, take the seventy-five dollars, which is fine, you know, and that's those are probably more the people who are going to be watching the show, obviously in in the in the big picture. But um, but you're right, like we'll self-correct. Like if something isn't working, like we don't want that to happen. You know, we don't we don't want it to be not working. We want it to work. But also, like the bottom line is like 
you, you know, you talk from writing from a place of passion and your gut and what you want to do, and that's what you should do. The problem is people sometimes just don't like your show, you know? I mean, like, yeah. and that's the thing. It's like, you, 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 like, I remember Lone Star, for example, like, was the, the absolute most popular pilot. Like, everybody talked yeah. about it. It was the favorite script. It was like, you know, everyone was raving. I remember seeing it being like, this is freaking great, you Cass, know? And Cass then, like... And then, like, four people watched it, and then it was over, and you're like... Okay. I knew all of those people. <laughs> yeah. All in my family. Right. But, but that's the point, is, like, sometimes there's just a rejection of, yep. of concept or whatever, no matter how good the, the visionary is behind it, you know? And have you guys ever been exposed to the in-season testing, where they are continuing to test your episodes as you go, and how does that feedback reach you, and what do you, what do, you do with it? Since I work at FX, so no. Uh, yes. No, they. Re- I don't. I if they if they test it in season, I, I literally I don't even know if they do. Okay. Um, I think they they're they're fairly data driven, but ul- you know ultimately they're also taste driven. I think it, it's it's a little bit of a different um, uh, metric than the form networks, where it's. I mean, there's a certain amount of they want a certain amount of prestige associated with their shows and a certain amount of buzzworthiness. But um, if there's if there's testing in season, I don't know about it. Got it. Blissfully. I was actually surprised to learn that there was testing in season. And it's actually done, I think, mostly by the studio. Um, again, the network might be doing it. They don't talk about it. Actually, as we were talking about this, I remembered that the first rule of testing is you're not supposed to talk about testing. So I am not here. And yeah. none of these quotes can be attributable to me. It's an imposter talking Chad about... Chad definitely did not show you that graphic. <laughs> like, I asked yeah. 20th many times. Nobody you know, it would be picture. great. Like, just for my own shows. Like, do you mind? I have... No way! So. But what, what is fun about it is, like, it just, you know, the in-season testing kind of just affirms what you already know. And, you know, and, and the best version of in-season testing, they'll just send you little charts. They'll be like, by the way, we went out to the field just since the end of the year. We want to see how people still think, think things are working. And you look at it and they're like, oh, you're like, oh, good. They like the relationships we like. They don't like the relationships we don't like. They're, they're, they don't like that character right now, but we know we kind of did not service that character well this year. We kind of flamed out, so now we got to do better. You know, it's, it's a lot of, we, know, we already know we have to do better kind of affirmations. Um, rarely are there any surprises like, oh, there's complete rejection of this storyline, you know? Um, you get that. You, you learn that these days from Twitter and, and social media and all that. Like, just if there's an abject rejection of something, you tend to get the hint. See, with Awake, they began to test episodes in season, and the tests were coming back. Look, this is like a weird show. Nobody really understands what's going on except for the procedural part of it. Like, can you really beef up? Can it mostly be about solving two crimes? So, you know, there's this section where we're sort of really pushed to make it just about solving... Uh, like, don't understand it in a bad way? Or like... You're like, well, I don't understand. He like, this is weird. He sleeps right. and he's in another world. What's going... Right. I know he solves crimes. That part I understand. Right. Um, <laughs> but also so many notes just having nothing to do with testing are uh, make this clearer. You know, and, right. and my partner Matt Nix, when he was on, uh, when he was doing his show Burn Notice, he was he used to turn in cuts, and he would say the the promo for this is going to be tonight on the clearest episode of Burn Notice. <laughs> 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 like, you'll understand everything. Yes. Well, to your like to your fog thing, that that is the note you get on everything. But well, you know, in the first five minutes, they didn't fully understand what was going on. It's like, well, isn't it great that we have fifty five more where they can like figure it out? Like, what it, do you do? They need a dossier before they start to watch like that's just how life is you don't understand I guess I wasn't smart enough to think of the that could have saved Lone Star beginning with 
foggy voiceover. Um, We've never done mid-season testing um, on the studio side. I've never heard that. I do with children's programming, which is very interesting. They do a lot of testing because you're wanting to get in the mind of kids and what they want. And I experienced this kind of recently and we're able to make some tweaks that actually... I feel like actually helped the show. But one interesting thing about kids and testing that you find out is you would think that kids would love the wish fulfillment world of being alone and having freedom, but kids get very nervous if there's not adults around. Like they don't want them to be the focus of the show, but they want to know that they're there. So that's why there's always the teacher or the parents are in the background, but they, the kids need to know that there is an adult that's like watching out. It's almost like a safety thing, which I found, because I would think it would be opposite that they would want this dream life but no they're very like the clear parents about in that. the show they're are terrible about. parents yeah i hate them <laughs> they like them to be like in the other room but we know they're there but i just i found that extremely interesting that's why you never just see a show of just children there's always somebody there's always teachers or parents i think the thing that's a bummer going off your awake thing is that like you probably pitched a show that was 30% procedural, 70% character and, and mythology, right? And, I mean, I'm just making that up for you. You don't have to tell me. That's, an exact, you know? uh, that, that, that's exactly right. And then as a result of all kinds of, like, internal talks, ratings, testing or whatever, they then say to you, well, we need a show that's, like, 80, 90% procedural and 10... As though you are a wind-up story guy that you're like, oh, I'm great at procedural. If I was great at procedural, I probably would have pitched you a show that was 80% procedural, you know? Like, right. if somebody said to me, thank you so much for this, like, teen drama, but can you add an entire, like, cop element to it? Yep. As though I'm a freaking, like, genius that knows everything about everything, yeah. I would fail, and that's the... That's, I think, the biggest problem is in terms of putting your faith in the creators. Your creators are only capable of so much. If you want a different show, like, and, and I think creators should be just as willing to say, you want a different show? Right. Like, part ways gently, you know, kindly. Be like, you know what, we just realized that we can't support the show that we thought we could be okay with you making. So if you actually aren't, like, cool with what we want to do, like, we get it. And it's cool, you know? And then you just walk away and you're like, well, that was a fun exercise and, you know, giving up my child. <laughs> Sending him to boarding school and letting somebody completely recondition them. But That's exactly what happened with Playboy Club. Like, what did I know about writing 60s mob legal case things? You know, I mean, I could figure it out, I guess, but that's not what I wanted to write about. And what was so odd is that that script, the, my pilot script was the first script that, like, was picked up to pilot and then the first pilot that was picked up to series before, you know, and it was completely the show that I wrote and completely, you know, Alan Taylor directed an amazing pilot. Then they tested it. Then before it aired, like we had to change all this stuff. And so no one ever saw that pilot. Wow. So it never aired as like the pilot, the show that I created. It aired as this, you know, thing because of the testing. Right. So yeah, which was, which sucks. I think it's to a certain extent, it's our job to say, if that's what you want, I can't do that. If that's true, right. you know, and, and I, yeah. I think there's honor in that. I think, I mean, uh, you don't want to sort of be an obstructionist, but at the same time, you, you don't want to promise something that you know you can't deliver. Yeah. And I, it, it, it sounds like you've, we've all kind of done that in, on, on some level. But it's hard because you feel like, you know, I don't want to be obstinate. I don't want to yeah. be the difficult one. Or I don't want to be the diva. Do the best you know? job of this that I can, yeah. but just, just know that. And, and that's, I mean, ideally, and what I think, I mean, as the studio, I feel like that's our responsibility to really help, you know, you've sold a certain show. And a lot of the times, you know, the, the networks start off with pilot season wanting 
the cop procedural, you know, and then by the end, they have a thousand of those, and then they're just trying to change some of the ones they bought to be something it wasn't. Um, but I feel like, I mean, that's, you know, sometimes we're more successful at it than others, but, you know, you really try and protect the writer and their vision and be their advocate. That's the whole job of the studio is to be the writer's advocate, I feel. Cool. Can I open it up to you guys? Does anybody in the audience have questions? Yeah. Yeah, I also have the age graph in here. Yeah, yeah there's a... Um, I can pull it up. Just but, real quick, in case couldn't... Yeah, you all couldn't hear her. The question was, do we have any influence over how the, the group... What, what the demographics of the group, the test group are? I think the, the, the studio controls at least the basic... Or the network controls yeah. the basic desired breakdown. Like, they don't want... You know, CW doesn't want, you know, women from 50 to 72, you know, in their test group or men at all, but they'll take men. <laughs> they'll take men. But. Yeah. We, we don't have influence on it. We, it's usually men and women. And then this one is, uh, let's see, uh, age 18 to 34 and 35 to 49. So blue is younger, red is older. I always so. thought, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive, but I, I thought it was just like a, 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 a range, a range of men and women of different ages, it just to like literally pick a random sample. And I mean, this is all in Los Angeles and the Valley. It's all people that kind of live in that area. They get paid a certain amount of money to come in and tell the reaction, whether it's a TV show or a soda. Um, and then sometimes networks will do a broader one. They'll go to Vegas because you get so many different people there, um, which is a little bit more diverse. But I think for the most part, it's just a random, you know, of so it, it, the, people. The, traditionally, it's been, it's always been sort of a random sampling of like the general audience. You want to see how many people it plays with. But it's actually turning upside down with like the fracturing of television. They're going out of their way to assemble audiences. You know, if AMC is testing something, they want people who watch these FX shows, these HBO shows, they want to know that they're talking to their audience. And if they decide that they're going to pick something up, they do it the other way. They start looking at, because like with AMC in particular, there's very little overlap between their audiences. The people that watch Mad Men are not necessarily watching Walking Dead. So they got to create an audience for every show when they pick it up. So they will use focus groups to tell them who will watch this. Like who should we be pursuing with our ads and how do we talk to them? And when we were talking about the marketing, it, it can go um, both ways. So that like with the, the killing, they determined that um, they had, uh, it was largely a, a female audience, and in the Venn diagram of it, sort of the places where the, the two different, it was like people who loved crime shows and people who loved family shows. And the thing you could talk to those two audiences about that like uh, both of them responded to was puzzles. They both liked things that were about solving puzzles. So you can see how you get from that to who killed Rosie Larson, which is like an incredible marketing plan. It worked really, really well to get people in the door. It just really pissed them off when you didn't answer that question. <laughs> but are you, do you do like ad buying for television? For, so do, okay, here's my question. So <laughs> do they say like this was the highest network testing thing of all times and you guys are like, great, we have to have it. And did this just shatter your reality right here? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you can pull something positive, and sometimes, like as a studio, you would do that, where the network could go, like, "Well, how was the testing? We really don't want to give them our information because what if theirs is something different?" So you know, if you're like, "The women, 65 to 66." Killed it. Killed it. <laughs> so you could always pull something, right? Or this scene, man, this scene was amazing. And the, the rest could have been shit. But um, you can always, they're pulling out like the little tiny area. But there are those shows that do, like ER, that tested, but that's not the norm. When you said 90, I said, oh my God, I don't think I've ever seen anything peak to a 90. Do you guys have any more follow up questions for her? Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> do you want to come up here? <laughs> Is anybody else? You in the back? Yes. Yeah. It's sort of like the, the this is why we can't have nice things, America. Like, you know, it's, and I'm you trying guys to can't think be of trusted. A, a good recent example. But like, and this is no offense to a show like Two and a Half Men, for example. I mean, like, Two and a Half Men is, it, it has been a massive hit for a massively long amount of time. And for me, I just look at it and I'm like, I hate you. I hate everything about you. And then you, you know, I have a show like, over the last decade and a half, pretty much every single camera comedy that's been made. I mean, we talked about Community. Community was canceled four times. You know, Parks and Rec was on the bubble every year. Arrested Development, like, died on the vine. And then it was just a cult following that accumulated over the years that, like, brought it back to Netflix. And a popularity amongst, like, a really niche, wealthy... Yeah, like, your friends, right? So, for me, and you, you guys can speak to that, like, it kills me, because I'm like is there room for like that smart cool show or is it just going to get killed in favor you of the You just named gambling? two shows that got resurrected so that I could then go work on them um, <laughs> arrested in the community but 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 I think actually the 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 thing that I'm finding having finally after about 18 years of doing this actually accomplished this is that I actually made a show that I would watch this year which is um, I, I know really well is, is actually a miracle. It's very, very hard. And, and I think then your job is to kind of let go of the result in some ways because you just, you can't gauge whether something is going to connect out there. I don't, I don't think that's possible. You, 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 can, you, you, you do what you would watch ultimately. Yeah. And can I ask, like, is that, I mean, I'm just, maybe you can't answer, I don't know, but... Is that ultimately your guiding principle with the shows that you've worked on? Like, are you in the end saying, this is, this is a show I, this is what I am most excited about. I'm going to create the show I most want to watch. Or are you servicing an audience? Like, do you know this is what they want to watch and you do it very well? I think a show I would want to watch. It's like chicken or the egg. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully one that does both. Yeah, hopefully both. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, hopefully both. I, I definitely want to watch, wanted to watch Wayward Pines. I, I wanted to write all those episodes and, and watch that show, and I, and I had so much fun doing it. And, um, and, and I think I thought less about what the audience would like or not like than I had ever thought about before, um, which I think sort of freed me up to just, to just do it. And it was nice because we made all 10 episodes before it ever started airing. So... There, there's no way to change anything or whatever. Like, it is what it is. So, um, right. yeah. 
I can say is sitting down with a lot of writers this year for the, for this coming development season. Um, and I think I'm sure Ben, you've like, experienced probably probably from Sony, you experienced this when I was there. Um, but you know, sometimes the, if you have a deal at a studio, I mean, their goal is to make money. And so if they see you as like a big broadcast guy or girl, they will probably try and push you that way, even though that's not what you want to do. But I've sat down with a lot of writers this year that I've loved, I work with, and they just say, you know, and in, in, you know, a lot of people think of them as, oh, well, you can do the next big multicam. That's what we want you to do. And they go, I want, I'm not watching any of the broadcast shows. Like everything that I watch is cable. They're watching Veep. They're watching Broad City. They're watching all these great shows. And they said, that's what I want to make. And everyone wants me for the big broadcast multi, but that's not what I want to do right now. And so I think, I think especially right now, there's so much great stuff on. And when we sit with writers, I mean, there's not a lot of broadcast, and I love broadcast television. I will always love it and will continue to develop it. But um, they're all, I mean, a lot of people are just really wanting to make the shows they watch. And they don't the watch thing I don't understand is like, so I don't watch most broadcasts anymore either. Like I watch my own shows. I watch Scandal, right? And then everything else that I watch is on cable. Um, but the cable shows get more ratings than the broadcast shows. Like Walking Dead is like the biggest show on the planet on the drama side. Gets more ratings, I think, at the more numbers at this point than like even the, the procedurals. And so what the hell is broadcast doing wrong that like those shows that everyone's calling cable shows can't get made for broadcast and get the audience that cable is getting. It's it's weird thing I, think, I can't figure out. I think that Game of Thrones and some dramas are very much appointment television where you watch them that day. And a lot of the comedies, because they're younger audiences, they're not watching it that day and then they're not watching it within three days, which really, you know, you can kind of gather that data. I mean, I'm sure all of you, you watch it, you'll binge watch something a week later and you watch everything that you love and then you're never accounted for. So shows that are probably massive successes like Schumer and all, and all of those, like, their ratings are horrible. Even Community, the ratings were never that. For all intents and purposes, that show should never have gone and, um, as long as it did. And into syndication, it was it was a miracle. But there, everyone thought it was a big hit because of all the critical acclaim and, and the rabid fans. But the way that people, I mean, it's got to change. The ratings is just such yeah. a ridiculous. That's it's a whole other which you did last year. It's kind of ridiculous because no one's the core audience is not watching it live or with even yeah. in a couple days anymore. I was just talking about your question about, you know, or your question about doing things that you love versus things that you think you can do because people want to watch it. I was just talking about this with my partner the other day because now Wayward Pines is over and it's like, you know, people are sending me things like, do you want to adapt this graphic novel? Do you want to adapt this magazine thing? Do you want to adapt this book? Do you want to, you know, or we have an idea for a show and it's very hard because you go like, well, I, I could totally do that. Like, you're like, okay, I could find a way to do this. I can make this a show. Like, this could be a thing. And you really have to listen. I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of this right now. Like, f- listen, like, to yourself. Like, what, what do... I know I could do it. I could take that thing and do it because I've been doing this a long time. You could structure that into a story and make it a TV series. But should you be lucky enough to actually have it become a series and you're shooting it and you're making it, it's so much a part of your life. It is your entire life if, when you're the showrunner that you, you should hopefully like it and want to be doing it for yourself at oh, some yeah. level because oh, it's so life-consuming that if you're doing something you don't really want to be doing in the first place and you're doing it just for the audience, it, uh, I, it's, that would be really hard, you know? Yeah, it's hell when you love it. Yeah. You know? Right? It's hard when you love it. Yeah. Over here? Hi. Um, so earlier in your presentation, you were talking about how Seinfeld, the first three, four episodes were uh, pretty bad. Uh, I, yes. I was to say that. Um, but 
the network gave it a chance to get better because he trusted that Jerry Seinfeld and Larry mm-hmm. David would would find their niche or whatever. So how come a lot of other shows still to the, to this day are getting canceled after three episodes? Because I was thinking of the show uh, Selfie uh, that was on this year. I mean, it's not the greatest title, but and it wasn't even a great pilot. But I watched it, and it was it kept getting better and better as this, the show went on. Um, but they canceled it after like six or seven episodes. And I th- I think that there are some shows that get canceled pretty quickly, but and they deserve to be really bad there. And it doesn't seem like they're going to get better, but some they keep getting better with each episode. And I keep thinking, why aren't people thinking? Why aren't people saying, "Well, look at Seinfeld. That was horrible in the beginning, but then by season two and three, it kept getting better and better." So why are our networks well, giving some of these freshman right. shows a, more of a chance? Well, it's an entirely different world. So, uh, like Seinfeld, uh, when they brought it back and showed the pilot the second time after they'd run the first four episodes, um, it got a ten point seven, and they decided that that was like ten point seven is NFL now. Like that was kind of a crappy number in 1989. It was like, well, I guess if it only if it got a ten, we'll give it a try. But there were four networks at the time, and so the competition was a lot less fierce. I mean, the, what every person on this panel has said about most of what I watch is on cable. Like, that option didn't exist in 1989. If you watched television, you watched something on the four major broadcast networks. So there was a lot more time to incubate stuff. You could hide it and see if it found an audience. Even, like, there was another sort of slide in there about uh, Ray Romano and how... Uh, everybody loves Raymond. Like it was sort of the last one to kind of sneak in in this era where, like, I don't know. I believe in it. Let's stick it on Friday. Like we'll incubate it. And networks that are doing well, they can take some shots like that. But we live now in a world where, like, it works or it doesn't work on day one. And if it doesn't, it's not coming back. Like the numbers, the numbers for selfie. Like you know, it's sad but true, it's not it's exactly what you said about community like community never blew up, like it it remained awesome and it became cooler and it found itself but from a rating standpoint if you're just looking at the business of it you're looking at that saying things don't really change, like they don't explode so they're very very reticent to sort of give long term opportunities to things that don't explode out of the gate there's just so much competition, and you know we're seeing more, which you've experienced, is shows being picked up straight to series, which is the best case scenario. I'm not having to go through the pilot process. So you're seeing that a lot of places, people want something, they believe in it, they're just going to commit to it, which I think is great because as a fan, it's frustrating when pilots come out and new series. Do I'm I going to? I kind of now go, well, is it going to stick around? Then I'll wait, and then I'll watch it all later because it's very frustrating. But it is a fun time that have the opportunity to just go straight to series, and you know you're making all of those episodes. I think we have time for one more. Go ahead. I was just wondering if testing had anything to do with whether a show was picked up for like a second season because there's all these shows that kind of sit on the bubble for a while and or is it that all I'd be the wrong person to answer that I've yeah, never been to a second season <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah I have no idea Wayward Pines has been on for four weeks and it's my longest running show so, yeah. Congratulations. Thank Honestly, you. Thank I don't you. think testing, you don't test it after whether they're on the bubbles or waiting to see how their new pilots are. Yeah. So if their new pilots are amazing and they think they're better than that show, so they're, you're, all those shows are waiting to see, you know, 
is there a hotter girl coming along that I'm going to yeah. leave you for kind of thing? And a better deal, yeah. Yeah, my, I'm sitting here with my fingers crossed for a second season. So I think, but 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 there's also um, there's also much more empirical data, which is called ratings, you know, and and so th- that I would imagine to a certain extent can supplant testing because it's not you, the testing was it went out there and did people watch it or not. Um, also, the the standard by which networks define their own success is year to year growth. So. Um, they break it down each night of programming. Is this year's Monday better than last year's Monday? Um, and then they do an overall, is this season better? Most overall numbers are like a little bit up, a little bit down, but like you can make dramatic change on a night and then like you're lauding the night. You know, Monday is up 28% over last year and that's what the press runs with and that's what the, you know, that becomes the sound bite. So suddenly the network is having a boom year when the, actually the aggregate of their success is like 0.02% up, you know. You can probably speak to this too, well, all of us, but the, um, what I've been told with Wayward Pines by Fox is that you, like, we, we really just care about the live plus three numbers. It's not really so much about the overnight number is as much Yeah, the CW is at the point now where they're like, they were, they were, I think iZombie was about to come on and they're like, we love this show, we love this show so much. I'm like, are you worried about the ratings? Do you think people watch? They're like, we don't care. We don't care about ratings anymore. We know, we have, we know what people are coming to our website to see. We know what the yeah. pop culture, the zeitgeist value of it is. We know that like this, these shows are living a long time in the pop culture environment. Uh, so, and we know this is a good show, so we don't. Does everyone care. know what Live Plus Three means? I just it just means that you watch it in the three days after it airs. Whoever like on your DVR, yeah. Great, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank all of you for coming. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your festival. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com.